Michael, this is all very confusing. This is On Markets with Remy Atino. Today is Friday, March 5th, and this week we have Mike Bartolotta with us. Mike is a managing partner here at Darwin Partners. Mike, why don't you tell our listeners uh, where your puzzle piece fits in here? You know, my involvement here is really more with the with the advisory part of the business. You know, my background is, is insurance and annuities. I'm fairly new to the advisory space. Obviously, there's a, an awful lot of crossover. I've I've dealt with advisors from the wholesale perspective for a lot of years, so I've I've always sort of been curious about uh, about actually running a practice, and this is uh, this is my first crack at it. I've been in it for about a year, and uh, and I'm enjoying it. So Tino works on the wholesale side of the industry, uh, primarily with product development, whereas Mike is sort of on the front lines, uh, you know, working directly with investors. And we were having a conversation last week about how both sides faced uh, similar challenges, but in very different ways. And that conversation was surrounding taxes specifically. Yeah, listen, one of the things that's, that's been popping up lately, I guess it's the time of year, is we're starting to get a lot of calls on taxes. And it's... Um, and it always kind of amazes me that um, that the calls we get are people that are kind of angry about, at us because, you know, uh, as a result of some of the things we've done, they've got some tax liability. And I always sort of felt like uh, people's anger about that is, is misplaced, right? Um, I mean, they've made money, they pay taxes, and because we've made them money and, and created a tax liability, they get angry at us. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me, but... You know, I guess that would be the life of an accountant too, right? You know, I feel I always feel bad for those guys, right? They they call people with the bad news and client and then their clients get angry at them instead of angry at the fact that they got to pay taxes. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, I always say I wish I had to pay more taxes every year. Yeah, that'd be a nice high class problem, no doubt. I also always wonder why the government doesn't like try to um, market it. Actually, yeah, right. I mean. Listen, if I'm the current administration, whether I'm, you know, Democrat, Republican or, or independent or whatever, I think I'd hire a PR firm and, I, and I'd start to, to try to create some positive, you know, some positive news around, look at what your taxes are doing for you, you know, show national parks and this and that and all the great, uh, I don't know, infrastructure projects and stuff. And I don't know, you, you, these guys can be pretty creative. I mean, try to change the attitude around taxes and, and not just that it's a, it's a cost, but, you know, here's what you're getting for your money. Maybe you should run for office. I don't think that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I would say that, that especially in a year like 2020, I mean, we saw um, one of the craziest markets in modern history. And, you know, there were, you know, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's such a high class problem to pay taxes last year because think about all the investors that don't have to pay taxes from last year. Uh, the ones that were on the wrong side of a trade or failed to adapt to markets moving as quickly as they did. You know, a lot of our strategies, certainly, um, we saw significantly more turnover than normal. And that was just a direct result of we were watching the world change and we wanted to make sure that we stuck with it along the way. So uh, you're right. I mean, when a client calls up and they're upset about paying taxes, uh, it, it could be a lot worse. You know, you could be paying no taxes from last year. Is it really, do you think this is going to be sort of an issue, a problem that doesn't go away though with, with the market being so volatile that, you know, people are going to start seeing a lot more trading and, and therefore sort of more tax liability year by year? It might go up a little bit. You know, if it's certainly, I don't think it'll match what we saw last year or for that matter, even in 2008, maybe even 2011. I mean, 
volatility, I think it's going to go up in general because with what's going on with interest rates right now, you have a lot of people that own stocks that frankly don't want to, but they don't have a choice because other asset classes really aren't working for them right now. So that makes the market, in my opinion, a little bit more skittish. So yeah, you could potentially see a little bit more trading going forward. But you know, there are also a lot of called asset allocation focused strategies that that are are in by inherent nature a lot less you see a lot less turnover. Those I don't see really getting impacted all that much. So Mike, when you get clients that call in and they're upset about the taxes that they weren't expecting, you know, what, what exactly are you telling them? Well, you know, you really need to point out to them, you know, what, what is the benefit that they got, right? I mean, we had somebody call the other day that was livid. I mean, these people were really grumpy because they had about $26,000 in taxes that, that they, you know, that tax liability they weren't counting on. You know, they failed to to look at the fact that they'd made about 400 and some odd thousand dollars. And it's a percentage of what they made. It was actually a pretty low, you know, pretty low tax liability. But, you know, they're just so focused on paying a tax they weren't planning on paying. It almost didn't matter what they earned. So, you know, you have to take some time and, and focus them on the right thing. I think it's also point, important to point out, though, that, uh, look, I mean, I, I may not be this year, but at some point taxes are going up. I mean, they just are with the deficit the way it is. And, and again, I don't think it's necessarily a problem for our country per se, but taxes are going up. So if you pay the tax now, I mean, it's, it may be frustrating, but look, that tax rate is most likely going to change in the next three to five years. But that's human nature, right? Nobody ever wants to pay now. I mean, which I've never really quite understood. To me, you know, it's like I got into the business a very long time ago, right? And, and remember in 1982, they, they liberalized. IRA rules. Before that, you know, not everybody could have an IRA, right? If you had a pension, you couldn't have an IRA. Um, but it always struck me like, yeah, I get a deduction, but, you know, I'm going to pay taxes somewhere down the line. I, I always felt like I was going to owe somebody money. And it, it was just never a feeling that I particularly liked, right? So I loved the, the Roth thing, right? I, I love the idea that I can accumulate money and I can take it out and I don't owe anybody. Anymore. Yeah, it never feels good to owe a debt to anyone. Yeah, I mean, it's logical, right? When you first, you know, again, when I, you know, when I first got into the business and it was a big deal. And you know, you started telling people, look, you're going to earn interest on your, your principal, you're going to earn interest on your interest, and you're going to earn interest on the taxes that you pay. And, you know, it sounds pretty good, but you are building up that tax liability that somewhere down the road, you're going to have to pay. And of course, the, the pitch that, that back then was you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. But uh, I don't think anybody believes that that's going to be the case anymore. So last week, we were talking about the bond market and the options, or more accurately, the, the lack of options that investors have if they're risk averse. And, you know, the, the equities market's a little bit too scary for them. Uh, you have a background in insurance, specifically life insurance and annuities. And, you know, that, that may be an alternative for some of these people. Do you want to discuss that a little bit? Yeah, look, I, I've got a, I started really in the life insurance business. And and annuities have always been sort of an ancillary business to life insurance. And then I, you know, and then I got more focused on the annuity business. And, you know, annuity is, has, has become almost sort of a, uh, it's, a, it's a controversial thing, right? There's so many people that hate annuities, but I'm not really sure they know what they hate, right? They, they hear people say that, you know, they're full of commissions and this and that. And some of them are. I mean, it's like anything else, right? There's annuities are like cars. There's some great ones and there's some, some terrible ones. Um, but annuities can really help you manage your taxes if used properly. In an immediate annuity, you put a bunch of money into an immediate annuity as you take it out. Um, only the earnings are taxed and only a portion of it. You know, a portion of each payment comes back to you as a return of your, your already taxed cost basis. It helps people manage their taxes a little bit better. Uh, I don't think most people really think about that very much. So there are ways, 
of using those products to help you manage your tax liability over a period of time and make it a little more predictable. Um, it's just that from a sales perspective, it's easier for, you know, there's a guy out there that everybody knows is, you know, his, his whole claim to fame is he hates annuities. He just tells everybody that they're the worst thing in the world because they pay commissions. Um, you know, it's in the, in the right situation, they work pretty well. So let's switch it up a little bit and uh, let's talk about my new favorite topic, which is crypto kitties. What is it? What is a crypto kitty? I'm, I'm guessing most of the people listening don't know what a crypto kitty is. And I certainly don't know what a crypto kitty is. Yeah, you may be better off not knowing. I, I think Tino is, that's for sure. So earlier this week, Tino and I were having a conversation about non-fungible tokens, which is uh, not really a new type of crypto. It's just a uh, newly publicized type of crypto, I guess. Um, Tino, you've been reading up on it a lot this week. I actually heard that term non-fungible tokens and I thought somebody was making a joke. No, it seems to be sort of all the rage. I know Tino has been doing some research on it this week. Tino, what, do you, what have you found? Yeah. Can't say I feel smarter <laughs> right now, but I, I, I've certain subjects when they pop up, you're forced to kind of dive into it, try to understand. Uh, that's happened more than once this year. Meme stocks, which um, again, admittedly, I probably called them mem stocks for way too long. But uh, non-fungible tokens, yeah, kind of a weird idea. It would be like having a piece of artwork or a you know, a sports card, like a baseball card, something like that. But it's a digital asset, right? It sits somewhere on a hard drive or on your computer. You get to look at it. But through, um, through a technology called the blockchain, you're able to designate that specific item as yours and yours only. So there's ownership rights associated with it, and it cannot be replicated or copied in any way, shape, or form, or, or cut into various pieces. Is, is it meant to be used as a currency? No, it's, it's meant to be used as an asset. It, it, it would be like taking a, you know, let's say you had a Picasso on your wall and you, you decided um, to sell it, right? There's only one of those Picassos in the world or maybe a handful of them. Uh, it's kind of the same thing. You would not necessarily have a piece of artwork on the wall. You would have it sitting on your computer. And therefore, uh, it has some type of a value because other people want to have that same piece of artwork. But there's only one. There's one unique one, and that's verified through this technology called blockchain. Yeah, but what's so great about these tokens that you want that specific token? I mean, it's not like a Picasso. That's the discussion that Tino and I have been having all week. I mean, who cares, right? Yeah. The whole idea. Yeah. To the technology is one discussion. The other discussion to have is where and why is this demand um, occurring, and how long is it going to stick around? Because ultimately, it's you know, I always use a Pokemon cards as an example, or, or you know, baseball cards, or a fine wine. It doesn't matter. It, there is no value associated with a piece of cardboard unless other people see that as being valuable, right? So if that demand to own that specific good uh, goes up or down, that drives the price, not the cash flows or anything else that's associated with your traditional investment. So, so by the way, so, I, you know, I always hear your, your Pokemon card thing, and I think about these goofy things that have value. Have you seen what McDonald's plastic straws are selling for? I didn't even no, know you could buy that. But I'm going to get upset. Get on eBay. Yeah, McDonald's plastic straws are selling for like $200 a straw. Do they not what? provide plastic straws anymore? No, there's no plastic straws, right? Everything's pla everything's cardboard now. They can't. In California. Oh yeah, yeah, so so like, and, and they're on there with like, um, you know, plastic straw from a certain year, you know. Un it's, it's still in cellophane, whatever. <laughs> it's it's the craziest thing I ever saw. Collectible plastic straws from McDonald's. Yeah. That's crazy. M Mickey D this is what happens when you screw with interest rates. 
<laughs> I'm telling you, it all goes back to, I, this is gravity uh, in finance. When you toy around with interest rates, these weird occurrences is what happened. Well, that and when you dump $2.5 trillion in people's bank accounts in one year. Yeah, I guess they got to find stuff to spend money on stupidly. Well, these, these crypto kitties are, are um, it's it just, it got worse the deeper I got into this, <laughs> this uh, research. I won't even call it research. It was more of just shock and awe. I mean, basically, you, you buy these little digital kittens, and then you can breed one kitty with the other, and then you can grow that kitty through um, software code or however it does it, and it creates a new kitty that's got quote, you know, new digi digital DNA or whatever it might be, and then you can sell that kitty. And, and, you're, and you're, there are other people in this world that apparently wants that crypto kitty and they're spending real money on this, not five or $200, but sometimes tens of thousands of dollars for this stuff. Tino, I sent you a screenshot of six kitties last night. What was, what was the value of each kitty? Do you remember? You know what? I did see that. Oh, that was the only reason I sent it to you. I was, I was waiting for a response, but when I didn't get one, I assumed you must've passed out after you saw the, the, the screenshot. Is there some logic behind calling them kitties? Just somebody, whoever happens it's a picture to of a come cat. up with this idea, li likes cats. They're, they're, they're pictures of cats. You know what? What bothers me about this post for me is that I, my, I, I'm now 44 years old, and I'm probably three months away from reading glasses at this point. I did not see the plus sign next to the, to the dollar number until I see it now on my computer screen. And now this is incredibly upsetting. <laughs> what are these things worth? Uh, over a million dollars. And can you do anything with them, other than to sell them to some somebody else that wants it more than you, you do? You can breed them <laughs> and create more. Are they are are they like thoroughbred horses? Like if you get like some kind of crazy great crypto kitty? There's some pretty cool ones. I'll, I'll say that. I don't know if I'm paying a million dollars for it, but I, I might pay like three bucks. <laughs> so, but what I will so I, I was digging into into it a little bit last night as well. Cause I was curious and one of the kitty attributes is, um, it's ability to breed. So I guess the more you breed them, the less fertile they are. I don't know. I don't mean if that's the right word, but <laughs> <laughs> the harder it is for them to continue to breed. So, and it takes, well, they're tired. They're tired. Yes. They're getting old. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so not only does it take longer for them to produce a new kitty, but you know, at some point they run out. So, you know, I don't know. I think that I was looking at it and it's goofy and it's kind of funny. And I thought about buying a couple just as a goof, but I actually do think that there is probably some sort of application for the technology um, that, that's valuable. I'm not really sure what, uh, but I have a feeling that, that NFTs are, are right now sort of where uh, Bitcoin was in 2009. So when you, when you, if you buy this kitty, do you have any idea how much breeding ability it has left? Yeah, it's, it's, it's in the, uh, uh, Tino's going to just pass out when I say this. It, it's in the attributes of the kitty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> How does that make you feel, Tino? Oh, boy. I just run, look straight <laughs> at the wall in front of me and run headfirst into it and just end this. Yeah, maybe throw that uh, that degree in the trash because <laughs> crypto kitties are where it's at.
at any rate, um, yeah, so you can, you can see the attributes of the kitty. You can see how, uh, how quick they'll breed and how long they'll breed for. And I don't know if they die at some point or so it's analogous, I think to Tamagotchi's, which was a similar game, I guess. I don't know if you call it a game, but it, it was a similar platform in the nineties. Um, not nearly as advanced, but, but it's, pretty much the same thing it's like a more advanced tamagotchi for anybody that is it is it is a crypto kitty a non-fungible token it is yeah okay yeah so essentially if you removed the graphic of the kitty you what you're left with is a a, a token a crypto token um that essentially just houses a bunch of data about that token so i've, I've been reading a kind of a an idiot's guide to non-fungible tokens. And it took me three times to get through this, but the last paragraph is interesting for the question of how, how this gets used going forward. It's, it's a valid one right now. It's kind of a joke, but it looks like there might be some application. Here you go. Further application of non-fungible tokens could be certification, such as for qualifications, software licensing, warranties, and even birth and death certificates. The smart contract of a non-fungible token immutably proves the identity of the recipient or owner and could be stored in a digital wallet for ease of access and representation. One day, our digital wallets could contain proof of every certificate, license, and asset we own. Yeah. So honestly, Tino, we actually touched on this, I think two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, when we were talking about cryptos and we were talking about Ethereum. Um, and essentially, the Ethereum platform was designed for um, you know, digital contracts um you know digital identification um you know of, of whatever you want to attach to it didn't have to be a contract um if i'm not mistaken the, the crypto kitty is actually built on ethereum and the nfts are actually all built originally on ethereum i believe they may have moved off onto a different platform now but i i believe they were originally on ethereum and that's essentially all it is right it's 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 just a contract it's just data that is has a, a unique identifier on it that in theory can't be changed that's that's all it is. Yeah, whether basically. it's a cat or a yeah. dog, it, or a... it's weird to simplify something like a non fungible token, but it really is. It's just an offshoot right. of what you just said. It sounds like it has a use, but I can't understand the value. Well, the thing that I've been struggling with is when you look at something like like Bitcoin or or Ethereum for that matter, or any of these other cryptos, there's there's a market for them, and they're treated as an asset, right? So if I have, you know, I have a, a Bitcoin, there's a value associated that is you know determined by the market I, I i can see based on on the trading of of those coins and those tokens but with the nfts you know, by design they're all unique so how do i derive any value from this other than to find i, I guess to market whatever my my token is in whatever way i can and then find somebody that wants to buy that token Right. What is marketable about a token? It's not like a house where it's got, you know, X number of bedrooms. How do you? you well, know, it could what, be. What, I wouldn't even talk, use a house. What, what, well, what attributes do they have that you that would be attractive to somebody? Well, Tino, why don't you um, think about a Monet? Yeah, why, why don't why don't you talk about Decentraland since we're talking about the value of a house? It's another one of your favorites. Decentraland. Oh, Decentraland. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That um, what is that? That's a video game, right? Where um, somebody spent. In the game, they spent um, 2.8 million manas in order to purchase. Did I say that right? I probably screwed that. Yeah, up. I think you got it right. 
Okay, Manas, in order to purchase a land piece in a game, at the time of the deal, it was equivalent to over 215,000 US dollars for a video game. So just to make sure everybody understands what that means, everybody's played SimCity. It's the equivalent of buying a square in SimCity for $215,000 US. I don't get it. And if I'm not mistaken, he said that he wanted it because the real estate was <laughs> closer to something, closer to the mall or closer to a pond or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it was more valuable. Location, 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 I guess. None of this stuff makes any sense to me. It's insane. I can't imagine why anybody would spend money on this. Well, I, look, I mean, I, I'll extend your, your confusion to many other assets in this world. Like I'm not, I don't have an eye for art for example, uh, kind of spoiler alert, really surprising there, but uh, I can't understand how people are spending millions of dollars on paintings that hang on walls, right? Because again, it's, it's valuable because, I don't know, some artist was poor and they, they got into drugs and somehow they got really famous making paintings and now all of a sudden there's only 12 left in the world and somehow there's value to those pieces of artwork. And all that, this is just an extension of that. We have digital artists now who are not, you know, picking up, you know, a paintbrush they're, I don't know what they're doing. They're going into Photoshop or something and they're making some cool graphic. And because they've got that notoriety or whatever it is, that demand for their goods, that's what an NFT is. It's just a digital asset effectively. At least that's the way I look Here's at it. Here's where I would argue that though. And digital art is the, is sort of the, it, digital art and, and playing cards, I think are sort of the two hot NFT topics or tokens or whatever you want to call them, right? <clears throat> but where I, I would say it's a little bit different than what you described is that if I have that same painting that you just talked about, and there's 12 of them in the world, I can find somebody to paint a replica, but it's not, no matter how good that, that painter is, they're not going to be able to create an identical copy of that. Whereas with a crypto kitty, for instance, I mean, I can just screenshot it and now I have it right. And it is an identical replica. Now I don't have the unique, you know, blockchain identifier that says I owned that one, but in digital right. art, mm -hmm. I mean, what, what's the, what's the point of owning the art? Is it to look at it or is it to appreciate it? Well, I can do that by simply pressing shift command four. And now I have a identical copy of it that I can hang on my wall or put on my computer screen or whatever I want to do. So I agree with you, Tina. I don't really understand art either but I can at least appreciate the fact that maybe there's something within the, the brush stroke if it's a painting or there's something within the, the color or whatever it happens to be. I, you know, I don't understand it, so I don't know. But there is something that truly is unique about that tangible item. Whereas with the NFT, if it's a visual NFT, I literally can just screenshot it and I have an identical copy of, of what you're trying to sell me. So that's where it falls apart for me is <laughs> like why why would I pay this when I pay for something when I just screenshot it? Well I would actually I'd actually turn that around a little bit and say in, in a weird way an NFT is even more authentic because you've got that immutable record saying that this is mine and there are no other um if fake or not if it's a, if it's a you know if it's a copy paste or whatever it may be you're right you could take a screenshot but that's not the original record you you can actually show physical ownership of that of that of that real item. I mean, you know, you think about, I mentioned wine earlier. So um, if you think a lot of what I was reading the other day is like a lot of fine wines, like these crazy bottles that are like, you know, hundreds or even thousands of dollars a bottle. They're now inventorying these wine bottles at the, at, at the, uh, at the winery to where 
each bottle has a record of ownership along the way to ensure that because it, counterfeit is such a real problem, I guess, in the wine industry, that you know if you have a bottle, you can see exactly who's owned and when and, and all that to make sure that nobody's kind of, you know, pulled a fast one if you're buying wine in the auction market. So having that, 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 that record, I think, in many ways makes it a little bit safer of a, a, of yeah, a so purchase. It's essentially blockchain, but in, if, but in real life, right? I mean, it's exactly how blockchain works. Exactly. That's right. exactly so, what it is. But I, yeah. I guess it probably comes down to why you want whatever it is that you want. If you want to own something because it's unique and nobody owns it, and that's the reason you're purchasing, and that's the value to you, then I agree. The, 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 the NFT is, is probably the way to go because it, it truly is unique, and, it's, and you can prove it, right? If you're purchasing that item because you appreciate the item for what it is, then I, I, don't, under, I don't know why you would get the NFT. You know, so so I guess it probably just depends on, on your reason for, for purchasing it and why you're valuing it the way you are. So Tino writes a weekly publication regarding market-related news, um, and that combined with this show generates quite a few questions. Typically, we answer those questions via email directly to our listeners, but this week we decided we're going to read and answer a few of those questions on the show. This first question comes from Rich Thomas. Rich says, I like your recommendation to stay invested through corrections. Notwithstanding, is there any technical indicator that would change that recommendation to a sell or prompt a relocation? That's actually a very good question. Most technical indicators I don't really pay too much attention to because we got to think about what's really going on here. In equity market volatility, for example, I it creates what we call a lot of false positives, right? Where you think the world is ending. There's a lot of pain going on. And we've seen a lot of that lately, particularly in the technology industry and some other sectors. And it ends up being very short-lived. The example that comes to mind is when Brexit happened. So Brexit uh, back in 2016 caused the U.S. market to go down 5 or 6%. Now, that doesn't make any sense. Like a company like Verizon, who has absolutely no customers in the U.K., should not see their stock go down, whatever it was, three, four, five percent at that time. So when you see instances like that, what you don't want to do as an investor, uh, at least investing for the long run, is to jump on that and make an emotional reaction to what's going on in markets. But there is a lot, there is a point where the volatility that we're seeing in equities kind of starts creeping up into other financial markets, and we and we saw this last year. It doesn't happen often, but when you see it happen that's when you need to start taking notice. So it's not just one market. It's not just one indicator. It's a combination of several different things that we will look at here. The example that I like to use is, you know, if, if somebody were to ask me who's the best basketball player of all time, whether it's Jordan or LeBron, I mean, obviously it's Jordan, but what you wouldn't do is just do points per game, all right? Well, who had the most points per game or who had the most rings? You would say, okay, what are the five or six characteristics that we can use to make a valid decision? So... You know, we run a, a portfolio called Manage Risk that does just that. We look at several different markets, and in each one, there's one or two different indicators you could, you could see to see, okay, is this bigger than just the stock market? Is this bigger than just the bond market? And when you bring all this together, yeah, there are times. There are absolutely times you don't want to be invested. And last year was a good example. We were going into March when, when um, our, our strategy fired and told us a signal that this is not just the bond market, this is not the equity market or gold, it's everything. So when those happen, yeah, you want to make a tactical move. But for most, most other times, I, I, I just um, there, there isn't one specific indicator that I think we would look at. So let's stick with Rich because he actually had a request as well. 
He wants to know, could you please talk about what money flows you see out of particular sectors and into what other sectors? Yeah, that's, that's actually a very good question. It'll tell you a lot to see where the money's going. And over the past, call it three or four months, uh, we have seen a kind of a, a, a rotation of sorts. Uh, and there's been a couple components of this rotation. First, gross stocks have been underperforming value stocks. Now, when I say value stocks, those are the ones that tend to be cheaper from a valuation perspective. They've been beaten up a little bit more. Uh, a lot of times, these are junkier companies also that have some problems. That's one thing we're seeing. Another one is that we've, we've, we've talked a lot, uh, Remy, I know on the, on, on the podcast too, about inflation and the f potential for inflation. I've been talking about that for months now. Uh, we're seeing that, I think, that anticipation of inflation coming in as well. So if you look at sectors like uh, industrials, uh, materials, financial sector, uh, for that, or for that matter, energy. Uh, energy is a sector that I personally haven't really invested much in, in the last two decades because I haven't done anything. It's up in the last six months, energy's up over 42% as a, as a sector, XLE being the uh, proxy there. So yes, you, you're seeing some, some shifts in uh, where, where the money is flowing simply because of a lot of these trends that I think are going to not just be around for two to three or six months, but could persist for the next couple of years. It's hard to say how long they'll last, but we're definitely seeing those uh, overall. So we get a lot of questions a week and, you know, I don't think we can read them all, but I, I like bringing one or two on each week. I think this is something we should stick with. I think it's helpful for everybody listening and, you know, it brings up some stuff that, that we may not necessarily be thinking about um, on our end. So uh, thanks, Rich. Appreciate the question. And thanks for listening to the show as well. I appreciate it. If you have any questions or comments, or maybe you just want to say, hey, send us an email at questions at onmarkets.com. We'll do our best to get it answered on the show, but if not, no need to fear. We'll certainly send you an email directly and answer any questions or concerns you may have. So it was fun having Mike on the show today. I think we'll uh, definitely invite him to join us again. Uh, before we leave, do you have any words of wisdom you'd like to share I with a, us? I, I have a comment about crypto. Oh, okay. Back. We're I'm back looking, on that, huh? I'm, look, I'm looking at these crypto Yeah, you cases. can't get off that, actually. No, because I'm amazed. Half of these things don't even look like cats. Yeah, I know. There's like... They got like wings and fire coming out of their mouth. And it's like crypto dragons.